Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point advisors, investment consultants, to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everyone, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my co-host, Curtis Wister, the Kittery Outlets to my Freeport Outlets. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Ben. Doing well. Can I have Kittery? Because I think they still have a Nike store. I think Freeport lost their Nike store. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and you know, we, we always talk about which outlet has which store, right? Mm. So it's always that we got to compare and which one's more convenient for us and where we're passing through. And uh, do we go on the way back from Boston or the way down, you know, all of that. So <laughs> outlets are a big deal, right? That's in right. Shopping in Maine. So we wanted to make sure we give a little bit of a shout out there. We are really excited about today's show. And one of the things that we've been talking about uh, with our clients in financial planning planning, especially from financial planning advisory work that we have, is there's lots of concern with our client base that they haven't saved enough for retirement. Maybe they're good because they're going to the outlets too much. Yeah. Well, you know, Maybe. at least right. they're going to the outlets, not the factory. Like That's the, right. The they're saving stores. money, right? Yeah. So it's a value thing. <laughs> and, you know, it's really tough enough to try and figure out what lifestyle you want and how much you can afford. But we also hear continuously about how expensive healthcare is in retirement and that we should budget for that as well. You know, and and many of us have sat in those 401k or 403b meetings where we hear about retirement costs and we hear a figure that we'll need hundreds of thousands or possibly close to a million dollars to cover our healthcare costs in retirement. So that kind of has led us kind of, you know, you hear that people coming in like, well, geez, I've saved X number of dollars and I hear that I need all of that for retirement, which means that I can't spend any because I need it for my health care. Yeah. So that led us to the, is this actually true, right? What are retirees actually spending in healthcare? How has it changed over time? How are we spending our retirement funds on healthcare specifically? What about healthcare costs are not as much as you think they are. So that's the premise of today's show. So today's guest is a retirement insights leader for T. Rowe Price, U.S. Intermediaries. He has served in a variety of roles related to retirement thought leadership and product development, currently helping develop the firm's expertise on major topics that impact the retirement industry. He's a frequent speaker at client and industry events as a retirement subject matter expert and serves as one of the firm's spokespersons to national media organizations. He holds an MBA and MA in political science, or poli size, we like to call it, in BS in electrical engineering. He is a certified financial planner professional and holds a series six, seven, and 66 as a registered representative, has taught personal finance as an as adjunct faculty member at John Hopkins University, and is also a high school and grassroots youth soccer referee. So at this time, I'd love to welcome back Stuart Ritter to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Stuart, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here again. 
I know it's been, it's been a minute and you know, you were like one of our kind of early on on our show and we're kind of just getting going and you just rocked it with us. So we said, we gotta, we gotta get him back on. Right. He was, uh, we get, we got a show. We can be an equal party to this, uh, to this show here. So Stuart, I want to just, I know it's been quite a few episodes and, and we've been gathering a lot of momentum on our side with more audience. So there's probably a, people that haven't listened to your show, the helping visualize uh, success in retirement. And we were going to urge people right now to go listen to that one for uh, prerequisite uh, learning. So after they go listen to this one, go back and listen to that one. But we want to just do a little bit intro, intro to you, Stuart. Can you just give us a little bit of background about where you grew up and if you have any connections to Maine? I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. I'm one of those people that's never been more than an hour from where I was born uh, for just lots of reasons. Yeah, see, there you go. Raising our hands, yeah. That's it, that's it. But I do have a connection to Maine that's brought me up there uh, the last couple of summers. My wife's family grew up in Rhode Island, and they used to vacation in Bayside, so north of Camden, south of Belfast. And now she and her siblings all have kids. So a couple of years ago, we started bringing them up to Bayside to vacation there. And now members of, members of her family live in Maine. So it's a bit of a family reunion. And you know, the first time I went up, I was just so amazed by it. It's wonderful up there. Uh, so all, over the trips to Maine we've had, I've had the chance to go to every single one of your national park sites. Mm-hmm. So Appalachian Trail, Katahdin Woods, Acadia, St. Croix Island, so I've had a chance to explore a bit of the state. All right, <laughs> man, you you've, you're checking all the boxes, yeah. there, Stuart. Wow, I don't know that I've well, been to all of those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and again, I, that the 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 Katahdin one is a fairly recent one too. So kudos yes. to you there. That's that's really great. Yeah, I have to admit, uh, being an out of stater, I wasn't expecting uh, what a logging road actually meant. <laughs> Until I got onto it. And you think anywhere in the world with a cell phone, you're fine. Until you've been on a logging road with like uh, with uh, 40 metric tons of wood piling at you at 80 miles an hour on a very loosely packed uh, dirt road. So that, that uh-huh. holds another level of excitement. Uh-huh. So, so Stuart, I want to hear a little bit about your path towards working for T. Rowe Price. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I know you kind of have lots of different, uh, especially educational experiences. Interesting kind of your path towards T. Rowe. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. The one common thread from when I was an engineer early on in my career all the way through uh, being on your podcast today has been... Uh, the interest in and to some degree the ability to explain complicated stuff to people, hopefully in a way that they can understand it and make better decisions. So I'll be the first to tell you I wasn't the best engineer on the team, but I was pretty good at explaining all that complicated engineering stuff to the non-engineers so they can make good business decisions. And that's one of the things that I've loved about my my time at T. Rowe Price, which is over two decades now. I've been with the company more than 20 years. Um, In a variety of roles, all of them generally related to understanding this complicated topic of personal finance and the different aspects of it, including, as we'll talk about today, healthcare costs, and then coming up with ways that I hope uh, help people explain it without necessarily using the terms standard deviation or 
price to earnings ratios so that people can really understand in a way that they can make better decisions for their personal situation. I think what you just described about that role for you, Stuart, is again, what, what I valued in terms of our role working with folks like yourself is being able to get some really great insights, really kind of see where things are in the industry. And I think our job, uh, Curtis and I, myself and then our colleague, Abby too, and all of our team is to then be able to, to then put that into practice with our clients. So it's, it's, I think all these things working in concert, it's really pretty cool to kind of see kind of a whole uh, spectrum of, of ways that we're applying these to certain client situations. So that's one thing I love about my job. I want to hear a little bit more about what you love about your job, Stuart. I have the opportunity to combine a couple of passions of mine. So getting the engineering degree wasn't an accident. I really do like the technical side of things. So I'm perfectly happy sitting in front of an Excel spreadsheet, digging into the data, looking for, I'm going to use big words now, correlations, how do two numbers, you know, change over time or, or next to each other and, and looking at it from different perspectives. I'm very lucky that I've got some people at T. Rowe Price way smarter than me, which, you know, isn't that hard, but still, um, we've got a, a PhD researcher who uh, has done a lot of analysis of healthcare costs and being able to work with him, having his help understanding um, what's going on. And I've done that, again, in a variety of aspects at Tiro, looked at uh, education costs when sending kids to college, looking at how much to save for retirement, working with our investment professionals. So, got a lot of top-notch folks at T. Rowe Price, and I've got at least enough of a background that I can almost understand them when they're really getting into the math. But then I get to combine that with the other thing I like to do, which is this, which is Mm. presentations. I mean, it's one of the reasons I I felt so grateful to have the opportunity to teach at Johns Hopkins University. Got to stand up in front of a classroom of some fantastic students uh, once a week for a couple of years and share you know, what knowledge I have, but do so in a way that's hopefully understandable, engaging. So being able to spend some time really understand something. So it's not just, hey, I'm reading off of a script and I don't really get what all this is that I'm saying. So really understand the topic in depth, but then have the opportunity to have an interaction with someone like you, a professional who helps people every day make better decisions. I mean, one of the ways I describe my job is there are clinical physicians that meet with patients every day, and then there are research physicians that work in a lab. I'm a research financial planner. I'm in the lab working with other experts, trying to figure out better ways to help people achieve their goals. And then when we come up with that, we have the opportunity to work with someone like you that, you know, clinical financial planner who is out there meeting patients every day, help you be more successful in helping them achieve their financial goals. So the opportunity that T. Rowe Price has put together to bring all of that in place, all the expertise, all of the ability to connect with someone like you is something I really value about my job. And I'm, again, thrilled to have the opportunity to be on the podcast and put all the pieces together today. And obviously to put pieces together here too. And one of the things that we do when we sit down with clients, and especially when they, they're first talking about retirement, right, is they're looking at, hey, I've saved all this money, but I've never really planned all this out. I, I do have dreams. There's things that I want to do when I'm going to retire. And you know, as we're sitting down with them, and, and Stuart, one of the things we use is the workbook on Visualize Retirement, so we can help them figure out what 
what sort of things that they want to do that makes them really passionate about life, makes them really looking forward to the number of days that we all have in retirement. So I think that's one thing that we we want to help people is to get excited for this. But I think the problem being here is this preconceived notion, or maybe maybe it's not preconceived, or maybe maybe it's the industry putting this notion in our heads of, hey, re- healthcare costs are going to be so much, you better not spend any of your retirement money because you are going to need it for healthcare. And who's going to take care of you if you don't have the money to pay for all this healthcare need that you're going to have in retirement? So we have two conflicting forces happening here. And so that's where I think our two shows are, I, um, I think is going to be really great kind of back to back here. So I want to, I want to ask you about that. So we're seeing this, uh, this idea that people are walking in with us and they're saying, I can't spend any of my money because I'm going to need it for long-term care. I'm going to need it for premiums. I'm going to need it for all this. And I've been told this for 40 years of my career that I need to save this for healthcare. What is your team seeing in a hearing out there related to high healthcare costs? Let me address that by explaining it in a way that has to do with weather forecasters. Now, I'm going on a bit of a limb here because I don't live in Maine and I'm going to use a snow analogy. So I'll just acknowledge right up front that that being in the state of Maryland, I, I realize I don't know what snow is. And by the way, the only time I've visited Maine has been in the summer. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll throw that, that out there. That's a that's pro move, though. I yeah, think. that's a good move. That's a good move. That's a good move. I guess if I have a choice, that's the one to make. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Not our fault. Yeah. Yeah. But, but part of the reason so many people feel like they're going to have to pay a six-figure number for their health care costs has to do with the same thing that goes on with weather forecasters. If a forecaster gets on and says, hey, you know, we might get a little snow this weekend. It might be an inch or two. They're done. People are, okay, don't need to worry about that. Hmm. But if somebody gets on and says, oh my gosh, it's going to be the storm of the century and we're getting three and a half feet in 12 minutes and all this stuff is going to happen. Wow. Then people are going to be paying attention to that. They're going to get more airtime. They're going to get more attention. People are going to spend more time listening to them. So there's a bit of this phenomena going on when it comes to healthcare costs and retirement, where I think there's some people who are just trying to make the number as big as they possibly can in order to get more attention. And hmm. what's happened, as you pointed out, is suddenly people are feeling like the storms of the century happen to everybody all the time. Hmm. And that's not what's going on. I mentioned our our PhD researcher. He actually dug into the data. He looked at uh, the University of Michigan's health and retirement survey. So they go out every couple of years and they do a very detailed survey on uh, different age groups and how people are spending their money and what's going on. So it's really, really deep data set and looked at what people are actually spending on retirement. Now, let me, I'm going to come back to that. Let me contrast it to what everybody's hearing, and I'll explain why you're hearing those big numbers. So you, you look at the headlines, and it's, you'll need $315,000. You'll need $350,000. $400,000 is the check you have to write the day you retire in order to pay for healthcare costs. That's what people are thinking when they're walking into your office. Mm-hmm. And it's just not the case. Uh, People think it's this big, scary number. And I'll I'll give you three reasons, if you let me go a little bit longer. Yeah, Yeah. love it. Why it's not a big, scary number. 
first of all, it's not a lump sum. You don't pay your healthcare costs all in one shot the day you retire. You don't pay really any retirement healthcare expense. Nobody shows up at your door the day you retire and says, well, if you're paying $150 a month for your internet cable bill, well, we did some math that works out to $86,000. Write us an $86,000 check today. Nobody does that. Right. Nobody does that with healthcare costs either. You pay your Medicare premium monthly out of your social security check. You pay your ongoing variable out-of-pocket costs Well, when they occur, and they occur throughout your retirement. Now, what's going on is people are doing some math and figuring out, well, that ongoing set of payments that you're doing, if we pull up an Excel spreadsheet, we can figure out that that's what that means you know, as a lump sum the day you retire. But, but that's not how you pay it. So the first reason those big, scary numbers you hear are not a big, scary number is, number one, you don't pay it as a lump sum. Mm -hmm. Number two, you is not we. Those numbers that are out there, they're for a couple. They're for Ah, two people. But most folks internalize it as, that's just me, right? Wow. Right. And the third reason it's not a big, scary number, and I would argue this is the biggest reason, and we'll probably spend most of our time talking about this is because those numbers you hear are not even remotely typical of what the average retiree experiences. The the $400,000 number that I threw out, there's an organization that came up with that. And here's how they came up with that number. They looked at the range of medical expenses that all of retirees pay, and they lined them up from the smallest dollar amount to the largest dollar amount. And then they picked the number that was higher than what 90% of retirees pay. So 90% of retirees pay less than that number, but they picked that number. Mm. And they did the same thing with prescription drug costs. They lined up what retirees pay for prescription drug costs from the smallest amount to the largest amount. And they found the number that was higher than what 90% of retirees pay for prescription drug costs. And then they added those two numbers together, even though that's not the same person. So to come out with something that's higher than what nine out of 10 retirees actually experience and end up having everyone think, oh my gosh, that has to be my experience. That's everybody's experience. We're definitely going to pay that. We have to pay it as a lump sum. Well, that's why people have this impression that it's this big, scary number when it is not Mm -hmm. a big, scary number. So I like that. So again, we just covered, you just covered why it's not a big, scary number. So maybe we can look at healthcare costs in age bands. So what is actually being spent on healthcare in early retirement versus later retirement, like late seven seventy five over? Yeah, so let me start with what retirees overall are paying. Okay, please. And yes. Then let's break it up into age bands Perfect. because yep. your listeners are going to be in different groups. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure we cover everybody. But let me let me do this. Let me um, uh, use an analogy. So uh, for those of you who are not seeing this visually, I am holding up a deck of cards. And mm-hmm. we use a deck of cards to help everybody figure out um, or understand, I hope, uh, what the range of actual costs is that retirees pay for healthcare. So imagine a deck of cards spread out by suit. So you've got spades, clubs, diamonds, and hearts spread out. And if I were to draw a line where half the cards are to the left of that line and half the cards are to the right of the line, I draw the line at the king of clubs. So I've got all the black cards to the left. Mm-hmm. I've got all the red cards to the right. Now, mm-hmm. for those of you who remember eighth grade statistics class, we call that the median. That's the midpoint, the 50th percentile. All right. So 
Half the cards are to the left, half the cards are to the right. So here's my question. If we were to line up total annual healthcare spending, so we look at all retirees and we look at the total amount that each retiree spends for their healthcare expenses in a single year. So that's premiums and out-of-pocket costs. And I line it up from the smallest amount to the largest amount. And I drew a line at the 50th percentile. I drew a line at the dollar amount where half of retirees are paying less and half of retirees are paying more. What do you think that dollar amount is? Boy, I, I, I don't even know. I, I, the dollar amount is $3,400. Okay. Half of retirees are paying $3,400 or less for their entire annual cost of healthcare, which means... Wow. If I shuffle my deck of cards together and you were to pick out a random card, if you got any black card any year, you're paying $3,400 or less. And the reason I mention it is because it contrasts so strongly with the $400,000 that everybody thinks in their head, they've got to pay for healthcare costs, $3,400 a year. Now, I realize people are not so much worried about paying in the dollar amount in the middle, but remember, half of people are paying that amount or less. Mm -hmm. What happens if I get one of those red cards at the other end, if I pull the king or queen of hearts? So illustrating the point, that's an expense that's higher than what 95% of all the other retirees are experiencing. And if you have an expense, an annual expense that's higher than what nine out of 10, or sorry, 95% of all the other retirees are experiencing, you're paying $10,100 for that particular year. And if you pull any other red card, you're paying somewhere between $3,400 and $10,100 for that year. Hmm. So I realize it's a lot of numbers, but the point is, A, it's not a six-figure amount, and B, it's a fairly modest amount for most folks. What we'll end up talking about is, for the vast majority of retirees, healthcare, ongoing healthcare expenses are fairly modest, pretty manageable. Where you start seeing those big numbers, though, that you hear about, that's when someone has an expense that's higher than what 95% of everybody else is experiencing. And then Curtis, I'm going to come back to your, your original question now, which is what's going on at different ages. Yeah, sure. Mm. And here's what happens. So we, we look, you just talked about all retirees. Let's break it out in age bands. So that, that middle amount, that number where half of retirees are paying that dollar amount or less, I'm going to focus on a particular part of someone's life. Um, mostly because that's the number I actually have. We haven't broken it out just for annual healthcare costs by ages. But what I want to zero in on is end of life, the last two years of somebody's life and what they're paying for healthcare costs then, because that tends to be the most expensive. Yeah. And it turns and, out- And, and right? Stuart, just to interrupt yeah. for a second is, yeah. that's where, again, where we're hearing too, is that's where it feels like the largest amount of fear is is as well, because this idea of, hey, I'm going to have a lot of, lot of healthcare costs all at end of life. And by the way, if I've saved, say I've saved $300,000 and I'm going to need $300,000 for end of life, well, now I've not left anything for my spouse. So, in, and I love my spouse more than I love myself, right? And right. I'm not going to see that happen, right? So there's a lot of these kind of chain of psychological events happening here of because of this, then this, then this. So I'm really interested here what you have to say around that last year. Is it, that's what we hear almost 
yeah. every client kind of yeah. saying to us. And, and understandably so, right? Big numbers. If I'm at the end of my life, well, then I'm done and I don't want to leave somebody behind for, you know, decades without any money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so for the numbers I'm about to give you, I'm going to take Medicare premiums out of the conversation because okay. that's something people are just paying on a regular basis. Very often what people are worried about is that out-of-pocket cost. So here you go. Mm -hmm. End-of-life variable costs, what people pay in the last two years of life out of their pocket. For folks in their 60s and 70s, that median number, the number where half of retirees are paying that amount or less, for those last two years is $3,000. For people in their 80s, it's $4,000. And for people in their 90s, it's $5,000. So shuffle a deck of cards, pull a random one out, even if you're in your 90s, If you pull a black card, you're paying $5,000 or less total in the last two years of life for your out-of-pocket costs. So for the vast majority of retirees, it still ends up being a fairly modest dollar amount, even when they're in their 90s. Now, Mm. this presentation, this, this podcast is not about, okay, those big numbers aren't out there. Right. Because people wouldn't be worried about it if they didn't actually exist. And they do. But Let me share what has to happen for them to exist. Please. If we look at the 95th percentile, so somebody has an expense that's higher than what 95% of all the other retirees at their age are experiencing, that's where we see the big numbers. So for people in their 60s and 70s, they have that that expense that's higher than 95% of all the other 60 and 70-year-olds out there. That number is about $45,000. For people in their 80s, it's about $78,000. And for people in their 90s, it's $114,000. So, and just to clarify that, so that again, you're talking the last two years end of life, that's the total amount for one person. Right, for their variable costs. Right. So if somebody, and, that, yeah. and just to kind of clarify that. So if you said, hey, that's really the 95th percentile costs for those age bands, statistically. Yes. Statistically, then if that person was a couple, more than likely the the other person in in that couple would probably not be in that 95th percentile as well. Agreed. We haven't looked at that directly, but since we are talking about individuals, right, you're you're putting a deck of cards in front of somebody. Mm-hmm. And for both of them to experience that number, they both have to pull out a queen or king of hearts from the deck that was in front of them. Pull any other card and they're paying a lower dollar amount. Yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Well, so I think that really helps, right? Because to really understand this kind of where this significant sum of money on out-of-pocket healthcare costs comes from, right, is... That, that I think that's a really big important piece, and that's a that's a very big barrier against that visualizing and and being able to w- again it's kind of weird as financial planners we're trying to convince people to also spend money on retirement right is right. that yeah. we're it's like permission here that we're saying yeah. it's okay things are going to be work out okay if you actually spend on some fun things too but I, I want to ask about you know one one thing I, I hear from our clients and Curtis has heard this from a client he's experienced too is chronic illnesses, right? Is, hey, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm retiring because I do have a chronic illness, right? And that's something where I'm thinking back to your deck of cards and thinking, hey, my average cost or the median cost is that 30, uh, 3,400, correct? Yep. Right? So if that's the case, I'm, I'm thinking about I'm the chronic illness 
so what, what, do you, what did you have any studies that talked about chronic illnesses and increasing healthcare costs over time? Because I could see where I'm at the median and in my percentile or, or what I'm pulling out of that deck, uh, it continues to go more and more into the red side. Yeah. And that's the advantage of working with somebody like you. So what we've done is we've looked at all of all retirees. So what I'm sharing is mm-hmm. when you look at everybody collectively, the advantage of working with a professional like you is now someone can say, here's what's going on in my personal situation. Right. So I do have a chronic condition that's going to make it more likely that I'm going to need uh, more healthcare costs. But at the same time, it means I might die sooner. So fewer years, there's a little bit of a trade-off. Now you've mentioned it a couple of times. So let me bring up the explicitly the, the topic that's I I know in in people's, the back of people's minds, which is this, the idea of long-term care Mm. and that it's not really a medical cost. It's not because I'm, you know, paying something to a physician for medical care, but it's this long-term care, custodial care that I'm going to have to pay for. And the big number I gave you, that $114,000, and when we look at the data, the the big numbers are almost always driven by someone needing long-term care. So it's not so much prescription drugs or going to the doctor. It's somebody who unfortunately needs a high level of long-term custodial care. They're in that 95th percentile and they need it for a fairly long period of time. Now, what we also find though is even with long-term care, it happens to people in terms of those big expenses in their 90s, generally in their late 90s. So again, the numbers are out there. But it's helpful for, helpful sometimes for people to understand the dollar amounts. Is everybody paying $400,000 or is $3,400 part of it? When it happens, and most of it is in the late 90s, and the likelihood of it happening. Mm. So when we put all that together, to your point about, well, I don't want to spend anything because I feel like I'm definitely going to experience this big number. Not everybody will. It's driven by the long-term care costs. We can all think of somebody who is experiencing this. At the same time, there are 55 million people over age 65 in the United States. So the fact that we can think of one or two folks kind of is the exception that proves the rule. There are certainly some people out there who unfortunately are having that experience, but it doesn't mean everybody is definitely going to have that same experience. And I'll also add, Stuart, I think from a from an insurance perspective, I, I think there's a lot of pressure on people trying to sell long-term care insurance. And, and for, for some cases, it, it, it does make a lot of sense, right? And I think that's where people are coming to us and saying, hey, I'm, I'm really just trying to look at the cost benefit here, right? Is here's this policy that I'm being offered. Here's the cost of it. Here's how it's going to go up over time. What's the analysis? of that and what I'm going to be out of pocket versus, you know, in what you're saying, Stuart, is, hey, my situation, my health history, my genetic history and and my family, you know, here's the things I'm concerned about. And this is why maybe my parent did have one of those 95th percentile outcomes. And and this is in, you know, we have family history of certain things and I'm concerned about this and all of the things. 
those situations allow us to say, let's take these certain fears off the table wherever we can or minimize them wherever we can. So I think those that's really important to be able to say, here's the data, here's kind of what are offered for prod, maybe products to help protect people. Again, from our end, we don't want to sell these products. We'll help do the analysis. We'll help you find it. Hmm. But I, I think those people are coming to us and really asking for, I want somebody I can trust that uh, is a fiduciary and they're going to give me some solid sound advice of what, what I should do in my situation. But I, I want to ask, I, I kind of want to tell a little bit of a financial planning story because you kind of uh, rate as a really big point. And we, we had a gentleman that came to us and he retired uh, early and he had, I think three time cancer survivor and had heart issues and, you know, but he was looking at his wife and saying, geez, my wife is very healthy, not a lot of family history. So in what we talked about was, you know, actually this leads to two financial plans because he's saying, look, the chances that I'm going to be around for 30 years um, to make my money last this entire time, I don't think is very probable. So here's the financial plan that I want to build that I can then uh, structure in security for me and my health, but also for allowing us to do the fun things now while I'm healthy enough to do them together. My spouse, she's she's done a really great job saving too, and we want to make sure she's protected and she has a, more longevity than probably myself. So we're going to plan this a little bit differently. So we ended up kind of doing two financial plans while they're one unit thinking of it. So healthcare costs was kind of this kind of, or health uh, story was kind of a big piece of it. So I wanted to share that because I thought that was this really important of helping to figure out how do we apply these things in certain situations and how health can kind of drive some of that. That's great. That's exactly the way it's supposed to work. Not Mm -hmm. everybody comes in and says, okay, we both need $400,000. It's starting with what the data actually shows and then personalizing it with a professional. It's the same reason you go to a physician. I'll come back to that analogy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. okay. You know, you know, Dr. Google says I should be doing this, but you know, I want to check with the professional and can you customize it to the rest of my situation and all these other factors? And that's a great example mm-hmm. of having the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. So, Stuart, um, we've heard you mention that two of the top three retiree spending concerns are one, healthcare premiums, and two, healthcare out of pocket costs. So, I want to kind of, I have a question for you, but I'm going to break it into those two categories. So, can we start with healthcare premiums? So, can we look at what is happening with healthcare premiums over a retiree's life? But also, what is expected to happen going for- going forward with healthcare premiums? Sure. Uh, So first of all, let me put it in perspective for everybody, because sometimes this data point surprises folks. When you look at retiree health care spending, three out of every four dollars is spent on premium. Mm. Most of the cost of health care and retirement Mm. is spent on essentially Medicare premiums, three out of four dollars. So that's the big expense that people need to be thinking of to start with. We'll talk about the out-of-pocket cost in a minute. Mm. But what's nice about knowing that it's premiums is that premiums are fairly knowable in advance, budgetable. You work them into your spending plan, just like you'd work in your housing costs and food and and everything else. Mm. Now, as we all know, costs for healthcare historically have risen faster than the rate of inflation. And the folks at Medicare, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they've got a group that looks at the system and and projects healthcare costs. And they have said, yeah, 
the, the cost for healthcare is projected to rise faster than the rate of inflation. So if I keep everything the same, I should expect my spending on healthcare to go up more than the rate of inflation every year. At the same time, there's something else people should realize, and that is that for most retirees, everything else doesn't stay the same. Most people have this idea that what I spend on everything else is going to be you know, constant throughout retirement, and then healthcare costs are just going to pile on higher and higher, more and more as I get older. But that's not actually what happens when you look at retiree spending. What happens is spending on all the other categories besides healthcare actually goes down mm. as people move through retirement. Interesting. And it, it goes down by more than the increase in healthcare. Mm. So when you look at what people are spending on housing and food and transportation and entertainment and everything else, that curve comes down as people get older even as the healthcare curve is going up. So even if I, most, for most people, even if they're spending more on healthcare, they're actually spending less on everything else. So it's not as if their total spending goes up. When you look at it on an inflation adjusted basis, for most people, their spending actually comes down. And, wow. and some of that just happens naturally. Sure. If I have yeah. a medical issue and suddenly I'm not getting around as well, well, I'm not traveling as much, I'm not going out to eat as often. And those other expenses just naturally come down. So healthcare costs are projected to go up higher than the rate of inflation. Mm. At the same time, don't just look at that in a vacuum. Look at it in the larger context. And again, I know I've said it like four times already, but I'll say it again. <laughs> Working with folks like you mm. that help people do that, that help people build out that big picture, gives folks the opportunity to look at that. Mm. The second part you asked about, variable expenses. So well, since yeah. they're variable, yeah. they're harder to, to look at. But what we do see is as people get older, what goes on at the 95th percentile, if they have a variable expense that's higher than what most other folks at that age have, those numbers do get bigger and bigger and bigger mm. compared to folks earlier on. Now, at the median, it's about the same. It's, you know, as I said, $3,000 for end of life for folks in their 60s and 70s and 5000 if they're in their 90s. It's the unfortunate few people have something big happen, an expense higher than 95% of everybody else. That's where you see the variable expense really ballooning. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. So Stuart, I want to ask, um, you, you covered the variable expense piece, but I want to ask this in maybe a different way. And, and we covered this whole, this fear that we all have that, hey, we're going to uh, get to end of life in that last two years, and we're just going to use all of our savings on that unpredictable variable expense, right? That end of life, long-term care. So can you just see what you uh, tell us what you found about, again, that that moment where maybe we're going to spend most of our money on out-of-pocket health care costs? Is that true that essentially long-term care, I guess what I'm what I'm asking is for long-term care or that end of the last two years, what's the percentage of our overall health care costs that that kind of soaks up? Like, is that 50% of all the costs is in the last two years or is it 20%? Is it 90? What? What do you find? I'm gonna I'm gonna answer a slightly different question if that's okay. I, sure. I realize what you're asking, and and I'm doing a little ducking here because um, I don't have that exact dollar amount. So what you're okay. saying is, if I end up spending, use a round number, a hundred thousand dollars, 
how does that play out? Is it like a thousand dollars every year until my last year of right. life and exactly. last two years of life? And then shoom, there's this big spike for, for folks who are at the median, just generally that's, that's not the case. I mean, they're certainly paying more at the end, but you know, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 compared to, um, you know, if we look at everybody at the median, all retirees for total healthcare spending, it's 3,400. So not that much. It's really, it's really the folks, again, at the 95th percentile. One of the ways to look at it, and, and I'll share with you, and it relates to one of the questions you asked earlier, which is how much of my net worth am I spending at the end of life? Because okay. you know, if I'm spending a whole bunch of whatever I have left, especially if I have a spouse or partner that I'm leaving behind, you know, that's kind of scary. I mean, certainly it would be scary if I ended up spending you know, a lot of it uh, overall at the beginning of of my retirement and then kept living. But mm -hmm. let's look at those last two years of life. And all we're doing is we're taking those dollar amounts that I mentioned earlier, dividing them by people's net worth. And at the median, again, you know, last two years of life, shuffle a deck of cards, I get any black card, I'm paying two or maybe three, four percent of my net worth in out-of-pocket costs for my end-of-life care. It's a very, very small percentage. Now, when I look at somebody who's got an expense that's not higher than 95% of everybody else, then if they're passing away in their 60s or 70s, they're using up 40% of the household assets. If they pass away in their 80s, they're using up 60% of their household assets. If they're passing away in their 90s, I'm going to throw out a number that won't make sense until I explain it. They're using 135% of their household assets. So how do you use 135% of your assets, right? Mm -hmm. So here's what's going on. In the analysis that we've been talking about this entire time, one of the things we did, knowing that a big driver is long-term care costs, is we took people who are on Medicaid out of the analysis. Mm -hmm. Because if you're on Medicaid, you're not paying anything out of pocket for your own long-term care costs. Mm -hmm. It's paid for by the state, right? Mm -hmm. That's how Medicaid works. So what we're talking about here, the people who are incurring an expense that's 135% of their household net worth. Well, to be on Medicaid, you've got to have a really small household net worth. So these are the folks who are just above that cutoff, who have very, very modest means, but still are unfortunate enough to incur one of those really high expenses. So the expense gotcha. ends up being more than what their household net worth is. So a couple of things to take away from that. The more money you have, the lower percentage you're going to be using in those last two years of life. Mm -hmm. The other thing to point out is if you end up passing away earlier on in your retirement, you're leaving more of your assets behind. So as you get older, you're using up more of the assets, yeah. but a reminder that generally spouses and, and significant others tend to be about the same age range. So even if you're using up a bigger percentage, there's fewer years left for them to have to use whatever's left behind. That's a good point. So that is a good point. I, I realize very often I might be sounding, and I want to sound cavalier about this. At the same time, everybody has that $400,000 number stuck in their head. I'm hoping that our conversation is giving people a more complete picture and seeing what gets spent when, by whom, what those percentages are. And then they can just make a more informed decision when they're having a conversation with you about what makes them feel better 
about planning for healthcare costs in return. And, and Stuart, I think what, what you're doing, you're articulating really well is, look, we're not trying to be flippant and just be dismissive, right? We're not trying to say, don't worry about it. You guys are being silly because you have the, you know, these numbers being thrown at you and, and it's developed a real phobia and fear of what can happen. And, and these things can happen. Yes. But I, I think it's, it's looking at this and saying, statistically, what are likely outcomes? What are things that can happen? And maybe what are things that, hey, what do you want to take off the table or partially take off the table in terms of risks? And if those are things that are really driving that, like, okay, then how do we design this? So to take some of, some or all of that risk off the table so that the money that we have left over then that you are willing to go enjoy or do something together, or, you know, it frees up that capital is to do the things that you want to do. And to your point, Stuart, of Hey, if if you have a certain amount of money and and you're waiting for the end of life cost to hit you, and that but you know that hey maybe I I have covered some of this. Well, that's why legacy planning is also very important too. Is to say hey, what do I want to see happen with this money? Where do I want to go? How do I want to gift it when I'm past? All of those things. So yeah, I think this it's hard because I think this is the this is a really big sticking point for clients, but uh, the people that we talk to on a daily basis of I'm stuck because I have this notion in my head that I, that I can't get past and for good reason. So I, right. you, you're doing an awesome job here. Well, <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah. and, and to build on the point you just made, if you're talking to a 65 year old, for example, and they're worried about that $114,000 number I threw out that someone in their 90s would pay if they have an expense that's higher than 95% of everybody else. The other thing to bear in mind is the idea of longevity, that if I'm 65 years old, to encounter that $114,000 number, two things have to happen. First of all, I have to have an expense that's higher than what 95% of all the other 90-year-olds are experiencing. And then second, I have to live to my 90s in the first place. Right. And for a male, there is a one in four chance that they'll make it to age 95. For a 65-year-old female, it's a one in three chance. Now, I'm going to round off a little bit, but let me come back to my deck of cards. Mm -hmm. It's as if you put two decks of cards in front of someone, one with blue backs and one with red backs. And the only way they'd experience that $114,000 is if they pulled the king of hearts with the red back. If they pulled any other card, they pay less than that dollar amount. So the dollar amount exists. It is out there. It just can be helpful for people sometimes to think about, all right, what's the likelihood? And if I'm still concerned about it, as you've pointed out, there are lots of solutions to talk about. You can buy a Medigap policy. You yep. can buy other kinds of insurance for long-term care. And what that does is it trades off increasing your ongoing premium expense. So what you have to pay essentially every month for a premium, but it takes that big variable amount out of the picture. It shifts it to the insurance company. That's what we do with our homeowner's insurance and car insurance and all of that. Mm. And to your point, then if I can go, okay, now I don't have to worry about that because for me, the insurance is what I prefer and that took care of it then not only have I freed up the dollars, but I've, I've freed up my, my mental ability to enjoy it. And That's right. that understanding the plan that you've put together that helps people do that, or, hey, you know what? The likelihood of this happening is really small. And even when it happens, I'm going to be late in life anyway. I'm just going to, recognize that the odds are low and that's how I'm going to live my life. It's another way to address it. But this way people have thought it through, they've worked with you and can come up with the solution that makes sense for them. Mm -hmm. 
So I have kind of a general healthcare cost question for you, Stuart. So how does gender, age, and income play a role in our healthcare costs, if any? It definitely plays a role. Uh, where and when it plays a role may surprise folks. So again, looking at you know, end-of-life care and costs associated with that, if you look at the median, if you remember, I said that for the age bands, there's not much difference in what people pay in their 60s versus in their 90s um, at the median. We mm-hmm. see the same phenomena for genders, that men and women pay about the same if they have a median expense. So if you look at okay. everybody who's 60 and 70 years old, who's female at the median, and compare that to what the males are pay- paying, very, very similar. Okay. Where we do see the difference with genders is where we saw it for the ages as well. It's at the 95th percentile, and especially for people in their 90s. So if you look at a 90-year-old, a, a male in their 90s, who's paying an expense higher than 95% of everybody else, mm-hmm. and you look at a female in their 90s paying expense higher than 95% of the other females, then you do see a fairly big difference between what the males are paying at the and what females are paying, over $10,000 in terms of a difference. So mm-hmm. gender plays a role just as age plays a role. Where it tends to play a big role is for folks in their 90s and for folks who have an expense that's higher than 95% of the other expenses. Even in their 90s, if they're having an expense that's at the median level, there's not much difference. Hmm. Interesting. I, I want to ask a question, Stuart, is obviously you got you guys and your team have created all this research and you've been able to analyze this in lots of different ways. But from a resource perspective, now that you've kind of taken the data, can you just share with with uh, with our audience th- something that uh, have you developed resources to help folks learn more about planning for healthcare costs? Like what, what have you developed from a kind of a product side that people can kind of learn on their own? Well, what we have for people to start with, at least, is a a bunch of research papers that folks can read. If you really want to get into the details of all this, then we have them. Um, And we've we've looked at different aspects of this. So what does it look like for overall planning? What does it look like for uh, variable out-of-cost planning? So we have a number of, of papers that people can read if they want to do that. We've got a summary of a presentation we put together that kind of uses that playing card analogy and gives people some of the key points that they can do that. And then we encourage people to do what you've been talking about during this entire podcast, which is thinking about the different solutions that would make sense for them and thinking about three different things in particular. First of all, how are they going to fund healthcare? Mm. Second of all, how should they be investing? And third, what role insurance should play? And the funding piece is not just how much money have I saved, but it's also thinking about the accounts that you've saved it in. Is it all in a pre-tax account or do you have some money saved in a Roth account? If you have a health savings account available and you've made the decision to cover your current health care expenses and insurance needs through a high deductible health plan, that's the formal term for the kind you need, to then also have a health savings account for folks who are familiar with that. A Roth and a health savings account, those give you the opportunity, if you make a qualified withdrawal, to not have to pay taxes on the money you've withdrawn. So where you've saved your money, in addition to how much, has an influence on what resources you have available, especially later in life, 
if you have a big expense, do I have to make a withdrawal that piles on top of all my other income that year and suddenly more social security is taxed and my Medicare premium goes up and maybe mm-hmm. I'm in a higher tax bracket? Or do I have money in other accounts? Have I made that decision today in order to give me flexibility later on? And again, talking with somebody like you who knows what all these words Roth and HSA mean is helpful. And then am I investing the money properly? If I might need extra money later on, am I invested in a way that gives me potential growth, that I have enough money in stocks for the long term that then allows me the potential growth I need to keep up with whatever those costs might end up being. And then we've talked about the insurance. So we at T. Rowe Price help people, you know, we, we offer Roth uh, options within IRAs. Um, folks can, can choose an HSA if their employer offers it. And of course, we have a variety of investments to help people match what they need to do for their personal situation with the investment solutions that make sense for them. And Stuart, th- and thanks for all that, because I, I, I do want to, um, we'll put links to these resources in the papers as well that we're obviously we're referencing throughout the show. So in our blog and in our podcast, so people can find that um, when they want to read a little bit more after our show. So we'll, we'll make sure to share that. Great. I'm going to ask you to kind of peek into a crystal ball, uh, Stuart. So looking forward on just kind of want to hear your thoughts on the future of healthcare costs, but specifically out-of-pocket costs for retirees. And the correct answer is, I have no idea. <laughs> it's, I'm fortunate enough to work with other people who look at that. That's not my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. I would also say that probably not anybody has a completely working crystal ball. So mm, sure, if you don't know what the future holds, which we really don't, then what that implies is to be flexible, to make the best decisions you can today in terms of how much you're saving and where you're saving that money and how you're investing it to put yourself in the best position no matter what future comes Mm -hmm. out later on. So we don't know what it's going to be at the same time, given what we know so far, all the information we've shared during this podcast, hopefully it puts people in a better position where they feel like, okay, I think I have a better handle on it than, gee, I got to write a check for $400,000 the day I retire. And yeah, I can anticipate increases. Let's bake that into my uh, my plan for retirement, how much I'm saving, how much I'm going to spend, and then be flexible when mm. whatever future we encounter actually shows up. I like that. I like that. So we've we've kind of reached the end of our conversation, Stuart. As you may remember, our final question is usually kind of a fun, not related, kind of related question for you. So I want to ask you, what Guinness World Record do you think that you could break? You know, you gave me that one ahead of time. So I've had quite a bit of time to think about it. And I still haven't come up with a good answer. Okay. So if there's a record for procrastinating on answering that question. There it that's is. The one I like that. I'm gonna hold. I like that. I'm gonna hold that one. That was, that was very well stealthily punted there. That was well played. <laughs> very well that. played. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did we mention that my master's degree is in political science? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Put that training into good work. Well, Stuart, I, I really want to thank you for coming on because this is something we're reading your research um, as we always do um, in looking at healthcare costs and going, Ooh, this is this is something that we haven't a heard because we're hearing all the the typical cost part, 
but we also need to hear, have a conversation about it, but then how do we put this into practice? So I thought that was really excellent. Um, you kind of breaking all that down for us, that sharing with our audience here. This is something where I think in lots of areas of our practice we can use. So yep. thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on our show today and sharing all your wonderful knowledge because um, it's it's going to be a very valuable resource for all of us and hopefully uh, the audience that's listening in today. Well, you're welcome. And I hope it's helped make people feel confident no matter what may be in the cards for them. Ah, <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, Stuart, thank you so much. Looking forward to um, you know the next uh, paper that comes out, and and we'll we'll keep an eye out for that, and and we'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on again. Take care. So really, really great to have Stuart Ritter uh, from T Rowe Price on the show today. You know, I, I think when we you and I were research uh, got the email from T Rowe Price uh, announcing some of uh, Stuart's latest research, we're like. Mm. Ooh, the light, ooh, the light bulbs clicked right there. Light bulbs. <laughs> we got a, we got a spicy topic for a podcast here. Let's, yeah. let's kind of, let I, I think this myth debunking that um, sometimes we get into with our show of, Hey, people think this from financial perspective, is it true? Um, being able to go, maybe it isn't. I think that that was a really valuable conversation to have. And especially for us as practitioners, as we sit down with folks and have conversations about what they need to save if they're in pre-retirement or have saved this much and how to protect it, or how do I get, how do I know that I can spend some of this without kind of robbing maybe my care later? Mm. All of those are, are really genuine everyday questions that we're getting from the people that we work with. So I, I yeah. think there's a good, good, um, good foundational conversation to have. Oh yeah. So I uh, want to just kind of, uh, you know, maybe just highlight a couple of things that we kind of took away from our conversation with Stuart today. So Chris, maybe just a bat lead off with something that you found uh, that you liked from, from that conversation. Yeah. You know, I think the entire conversation was so great. And, and as you touched on Ben, but the, a piece that really stuck out to me was um, his analogy with the deck of cards and, and really kind of honing in on these healthcare costs in retirement. And, you know, he talked about that, that median point, the 50%, 50th percentile at, I think it was somewhere in the $3,400 range um, a year. And the fact that 50% of the people are going to be paying less than that. And even as you age, right, he talked about it and I don't have the numbers directly in front of me, but it, you know, it grew incrementally as we age, you know, he was kind of going by decade there. And and again, you have that 95th percentile, you know, and more where you have those high costs. But I think it was really well presented by Stuart of how realistic is it that you're going to, you know, again, it happens. And, and we understand that those high costs are out there, but there's a vast majority of people who won't be in that 95th percentile of healthcare costs. And it's, it's just really important for people to know that I think it kind of slows down some of that panic and that mindset of, you know, and he talked about day one of retirement, you don't write a $400,000 check day one, even if you're in that 95th percentile, you know? So I think it was just really helpful to hear him kind of work through it and be realistic about it. And, and I think it, it was just a really good, really 
good segment of the conversation. Yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of make a couple points there. One is, I think if you ask retirees about maybe some of Stuart's uh, research or what people are typically spending in retirement, when you're in retirement and in retirement for some time, I don't think that's a shocking thing of like, yeah, mm. like yeah, I'm really not spending that much in retirement. I got, yeah, I got Medicare, I got Medicare, uh, you know, supplemental, uh, you know, those are normal costs. It's a few grand, and that, that's pretty yeah. normal on a annual basis. Yeah. So I think if you but if you're pre-retirement, right? Because I've never been had had to been on Medicare before, and I've never know I don't know what the supplemental will be. And by mm-hmm. the way, that's driven also by income is is kind of a measure of what that is as well. Which right. pre pre tax retirement income, if you're spending from IRAs, might be influential there. But I don't I, I think if you're pre-retiree, I think this is that's more shocking. It's like I thought that was going to be higher. Yeah. But uh, but if the retirees today, I think they're very concerned about that end of life care. So I thought there was yeah. kind of two good lessons there. I, I brought this up to my parents in, who are in retirement right now, and we talked about this. And they're like, "Yeah, like yeah, yeah that's kind of <laughs> what, what we're spending. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty normal." So I, I think from that end, I I think that was really good to break out. Um, yeah. Also, his point about the deck of cards. And yeah. I don't think he said this on our show, but he said this in his research was the chronic illness. So say I had a really bad year, right? In a 95th percentile year, and it was a really large uh, out-of-pocket cost. Typically, that's not followed up by subsequent 95th percentile pulls. Yeah. Is yeah. it's not like I have a really large amount and then I have another really large amount and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's yeah. usually it goes right. It, typically, it settles back down and goes to the medium. So he and the example in the in the their paper and the research was like, oh, you have a hip replacement, yeah. And all of a sudden, I have surgery and I have all this out. I have some more out of pocket costs. Well, then as you recovered, as you've done your rehab, uh, you kind of get back to normal a little bit. That then kind of settles back down the healthcare cost. So I, I think that was an interesting, the deck of cards is a really good visualization. Yeah. And, I thought. and you just you just made me think of another one, Ben, that I want to make sure to bring up. He talked about, you know, as we age, if that healthcare cost does increase, oftentimes your other costs in retirement are decreasing at the same time to offset it. And I thought that was really important for him to bring up because, you know, if you kind of hone in on healthcare costs, yes, it is increasing, but your overall spending may even be decreasing, right? He mentioned the decrease in spending may offset and then some the increase in healthcare costs. And, and I know from a financial planning, and that's, that's a lot of the, one of the biggest outputs that people are looking for from us is, how much can I spend? Right. What's affordable uh, from my savings? But also, what what's really catastrophic spending? What does it mean yeah. to? So I think that's where people assume I'm going to still spend the same amount all throughout retirement, and health costs, healthcare costs are increasing on top of it, right. which is going to get me into this catastrophic spending phase. So again, he kind of debunked that. <laughs> uh, I also kind of uh, one thing I liked was the whole. Again, we we asked a question about the kind of the last two. Years years of of life and how that kind of really impacts us again that unpredictable variable expense and how it can Im- impact us and he f- i like how Stuart framed it yep because he framed it as a percentage in net worth 
And I think people are thinking like 95% of my net worth is gone after a two year, um, you know, end of life healthcare cost uh, expense, you know, and, and it really wasn't that level, right? And, and no. as he's saying, the kind of the, the more you've kind of pre-funded your retirement and saved, again, even if it is a larger amount, you're cl- kind of closer towards end of life anyway, uh, which is why that maybe is less impactful there. Yep. And again, there's, there's ways to... Kind of if there, you have that risk or that concern about making sure you're saving for legacy goals or you want to make sure your spouse uh, continues the money, I think th- there, there's vehicles for that. And I think he, uh, Stuart did a good job touching on that as well. So mm. again, I, I think really good show today, one that I hope probably is is worth a re-listen, not only for us, but you know, as you go through it, like this could be something where I think there's, there's an, and sometimes numbers just don't stick the first time, right? right. So it's just kind of take a re-listen to it. And I think it would would be helpful to help frame a little bit of these conversations that, you know, if you have with us or your financial planner out there, uh, hopefully it uh, it's helpful for you kind of going forward. So you can find more about our show. Again, we're going to share some more of Stuart and his team's uh, T. Price's research on our blog. You can go to blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash five two. And that's episode 52. So we're oh, in our 50s, continue to uh, <laughs> plug away. And we got some really good guests coming up, yeah. by the way. I, I think, yeah. um, you know, to kind of preview, we got um, the main council agent coming on. And that's, I think, going to be one of our upcoming shows. We have another, uh, some more fantastic guests. So again, we, we continue to get some good momentum here. Appreciate everybody tuning into our show. We really can't thank you enough for your support. If there's any, uh, any comment you want to leave us, feel free to reach out and we'll catch you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.